Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. We're up to episode 130, and it's January 11th, 2022. Happy New Year, Eric. Happy New Year. We survived another year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Barely. who would have thought <laughs> that 2021 would be pretty much like 2020? <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone's already guessing what 2022 is going to be like. but uh, it's It's right in the name, right? <laughs> yeah well let's get into this so uh first of all let's just thank our sponsors auto solutions without them we wouldn't be able to make this podcast and talk to you pretty people out there uh obviously auto solutions are the makers of cold box command box forge box test box and almost every other box out there and there's a few legal uh box concerns out there too did you hear there's a test box out there now there's testbox.com and apparently we have to maybe flex our legal muscles there to get that one <laughs> taken down because we've got trademarks i'm pretty sure on that but. right trademarks are always funny though because it has to be very specifically defined so we'll see yeah we'll anyway. see just don't don't get confused yeah about which test box you're using <laughs> <laughs> for sure anyways there's a few ways you can say thanks to auto solutions what are they eric well you can like and subscribe to our videos here on youtube or subscribe in your favorite podcast app of choice. You can sign up for a free or a paid account over on CFCast, our premier video training site. And we keep plugging away our favorite 102 cold box quick tips and tricks book that you could buy on Gumroad. And if you'd like us to stop plugging that, you can convince Brad to get his 103 command box tips and tricks. And we'll start plugging that one instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was supposed to read that over the holidays, but my holidays got a little hectic and I didn't read it. So, but apparently there's lots of good trips and tips and tricks, even for those who use it all the time. So I'm going to have to definitely make it through that book. But uh, we also want to thank our Patreon supporters because we have 90, 97% of this podcast is funded by Patreons. We have 37 Patreons right now paying into our monthly plans. And if you go to patreon.com, you can find out more about those. Uh, those packages so patreon.com slash solutions okay let's get up and running with the news what do we got up here well we want to talk about our first ordis webinar for the year it is going to be on january 28th at 11 a.m central time it is going to be led by mr grant copley on cb wire and alpine js this is for especially for the people who think we write way too much javascript in our applications <laughs> this is for you um it's for everybody else too but uh cb wire and alpine are ways to write very minimal javascript to still get a richly interactive application yeah i know that uh luis has been using alpine to spice up content box a little bit we haven't gone full view there and so alpine's kind of a nice mixture of just sprinkling yeah. a little bit of view like stuff into your html yeah, I feel like Alpine is going to be like the next jQuery where you put it in for just the, it makes very, it makes things just that much easier where, you know, people put jQuery in because the browsers were all doing things crazy and it was much easier to toggle classes or hide things with jQuery. Well, Alpine does that for the next thing, which is like reactive data, yeah. um, but without a huge build system, which... I mean, Vue is light, and you can use it without a build system, but most of us have some sort of Webpack or ES Build or something pipeline. So it's like Vue light. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's it looks really cool, and they've done a good job of it, and nice and light and small. So very cool. You just replace V dash with X dash. <laughs> yeah, they got to use the X. It makes it extra cool. So. <laughs> So, so that will, again, January 28th, uh, 11 a.m. Cornfield Standard Time. <laughs> Cornfield. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. And then you can go to autosolutions.com slash events slash webinars, and you can sign up for that. Uh, we are continuing on the Log4j train, as well as the rest of the world. 
we have log4j2.17.1 patch released. The command box images are updated with that. And some other libraries like our favorite spreadsheet CFML have been updated as well. Yep. So uh, if your libraries were updated recently for their other ones, check and see if they got the new one. There are a couple little uh, important patches in there. So good to good to get that updated. And you can uh, test your patch servers using uh, James Moberg's test tool that we'll talk about later. Yep. Good point. Okay. Next up, we actually have uh, another Java vulnerability <laughs> to talk about. And this one's got an interesting name. I'm actually going to share my screen for those watching because it's called the elephant beetle. And that thing looks crazy. Yeah. It's a scary looking thing. <laughs> I know it's zoomed in and all that, but it's pretty crazy looking. But apparently this uh, elephant beetle lurks for months in networks. And so it talks about this group of, um, it looks like they're focused or um, centered in Latin America, but they're basically been using a whole kitty suite of tools that basically sits on your network and and jumps around and looks and watches and tries to do stuff and then if it detects apparently if you get detected it'll lay low for a while like it's some crazy little thing but uh it's got pretty interesting attack vectors and the reason we're bringing it up is because it does affect tomcat um and so it's really um you know they got like a bunch of different progressive states here you can see but the vulnerabilities it uses uh, certain you know cve and um it's kind of kind of scary actually how they're they're basically getting out there and uh and apparently like siphoning off millions of dollars you know it makes me think of what office space yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so it's it's out there i mean the the biggest thing you can do is make sure that you're you're up to date with all your patches and everything else but we're gonna share that that link as well for you, you and uh just sort of another little thing it's like patching is important you know keep up on that stuff because some of those things out there are very scary and so. uh by patching we don't mean you're on the latest version of cold fusion 11. no yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like and you know when they up, do updates java updates and tomcat and everything a lot of those things get updated so yeah i'm sure i don't even know if tomcat would be what version were they running back then in 11 because the thing in uh, nine yeah, they had jrun still so 10 is when they moved to tomcat so and yeah. 10 is when i'm i started so i don't know yeah <laughs> crazy times what else we got eric we have some more Adobe workshops coming up. These are in two different time zones. One is Central European time, and the other one is India Standard Time. So um, obviously, you can still attend. It just modify that for your time zone. This is the same workshop that has been done, led by Damien Bruendonks. It is February 2nd and March 9th. Oh, now that I'm, is that? These times might just be already time zone adjusted because I have 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Central European time, 1.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. India Standard Time. So I think it just was adjusted for me. Um, yeah, so, yeah, sure. you can uh, – we'll put the link in the show notes to sign up or you can go to uh, Adobe's – the Cold Fusion portal and see it there. And that's, again, the Adobe Workshops with Dane Bruendonks. Okay. Well, Charlie just mentioned in the chat um, that Adobe um, released a, a little uh, tech note on how to update to the 2.17.1 patch as well. So uh, we mentioned the command box was updated, and so Adobe does have that there as well. So we'll share that link here in the show notes. I'm going to grab it right now so I can put it in there, and then we'll, uh, we'll update that. Thanks, Charlie. Well, our next one we have is something that came and went. We missed it, but AngularJS, otherwise known as Angular 1 or AngularJS 1, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the OG, uh, was end of life on uh, the end of last year, December 31st, 2021. If you still have an application running AngularJS, there are some options for you to uh, migrate. We are very partial to view. Alpine might also be a good choice. Both uh, share a lot of familiar syntax with AngularJS. Yeah. And we have an article that we want to share about that migration from AngularJS to Vue. Yep. So. Um, in all seriousness, Vue 
and Alpine JS are closer to Angular one than the rest, the newer versions of Angular are. So <laughs> if you yeah. want something that's familiar, Vue and Alpine are your closer choices. Yeah, I mean, did, uh, I think they said that the new marketing lo- slogan is "It's just Angular," and you're like, I said no more JS, and you <laughs> you said that's because it's not JS anymore anyway. It's TypeScript, isn't it's, it? <laughs> it? It is very TypeScript heavy. I know I saw tons of decorators in there, which aren't even the like. Ex- well, maybe they're accepted in JavaScript now. They're, it's it's its own thing, and if you like it, that's great. But it's definitely not Angular JS one. <laughs> yep. For sure. It's definitely evolved and whatnot. But yeah, so if you're running some really old stuff there, again, patching is important and they, they evaluate, you know, whether you whether you should upgrade or try and maintain and, you know, pros and cons. And so again, we're we don't know too much about the people that wrote this article, but we wanted to share it for those who are running old school Angular. So Angular JS. So long. Yep. And just to plug our workshop again, if you are looking for an upgrade path from AngularJS one, Alpine and CB Wire could also be a great choice. So well, come to point. Grant's webinar on the twenty eighth. Yep, for sure. Okay, next up we have our CFcast content update. And so uh, we took a little vacation over Christmas too of releasing new content, but we have now given you a whole lot more content in the free category that wasn't there before. That's right. Into the box twenty twenty one videos are now free for everybody. So you can view that cfcast.com slash series slash into the box 2021. Yep. We actually, uh, I think they, they did make that free right after we had the podcast the other day. So everybody who was on vacation could have enjoyed it, but we didn't tell you. So now, you know, so make the most of it while they're the free. I'm, I don't believe they're going to go back to paid or anything, but just in case, watch them anyway. So, <laughs> but we still have the end of the box of the town videos scheduled for coming up soon. I know they're in the review process, uh, we've been, again, everyone's been on vacation and trying to enjoy time with family over the holidays. So, uh, we will be getting you fresh content coming out again very soon. Okay. Next up, let's talk about conferences and trainings. Start of the year, there's never very many, but we do have one to talk about, right, Eric? That's right. The Vue.js Nation Conference is coming up. We had talked about this before with the call for speakers. Now you can go register. It's the for the 26th and 27th. It is free and it is online. Yeah, I think that's European time as well. So just be aware of um, uh, check that out. Make sure that it's in the right time zone. Uh, but yeah, it looks like a good conference. And I really got to start getting to this View Three stuff, talking about Angular JS and Angular, the new stuff, and feels very much the same way now. With View One, pretty much dead. View Two is on the way out, and View Three, I'm like. I got to catch up. Everything's still but, Vue 2, so I haven't missed with Vue 3 much yet. So, Well, the good news of Vue 3 is you can use all the Vue 2 syntax. It didn't leave. They okay. just added new, new ways to do it. And uh, I haven't gotten to it either. It seems that they've been taking their time upgrading all of like the the family, you know, like the, the Vue router and Vuex and all of those. And they're about there, so I think I think we did okay waiting. <laughs> okay, good. I don't feel so guilty now. I'm like, ah. <laughs> trying to keep up with the stuff can be tough, but uh, yeah, that'll be a good conference to to check that out more and learn a little bit more about View Three and the new stuff coming there. So, and then if you want more conferences, Comps.Tech is our favorite little resource for finding site uh, conferences, whether they're online or in person, for lots of different languages and communities. So. Go check out comps.tech if you want more of that. Okay, let's talk about blog tweets and videos of the week. And starting off, we have a, a tweet from Adam Cameron. You want to tell us about yeah. that? It was, today I learned something new about CF Output. And um, I didn't know this either. CF Output has an encode for attribute that is a shortcut to... Um, the encoding functions like encode for HTML, encode for XML that you can put on the CF output and then all of the variables that you output between the hashes in your code will automatically get passed to those encode functions. So if you encode for HTML, it will call encode, it will essentially call encode for HTML around all the variables you output. Um, so I, I verified it because I thought that was cool and I wanted to see if it worked in nested 
you know, mm. like if you have layout views. And the answer is yes, but it's not what you want, <laughs> at least in Coldbox. Uh. Um, when it renders a view, you need that to actually be parsed HTML. Um, and so I put it in my main layout, but then everything that Coldbox rendered after that was just the string on the page. So you probably, <laughs> you can, but you probably don't want that in practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is also a good reminder that this is nice, but then you you do need to be aware of it in case you're wondering why your expression that you wanted to like, I don't know, output a script tag is outputting text on the page. Yeah, uh, that definitely does happen. And then so it's, I feel like you're <laughs> you're just choosing which one you want to remember because yes, it sometimes it's hard to remember to correctly encode all of our. HTML, all the attributes, all that. But on the flip side, this can almost seem magical if you don't know to look for it. So now you know. Yeah, and I was wondering, you know, like if you've got something nested as far as just, you know, okay, if you do encode for HTML, but now you've got, uh, you know, a link with attributes in there, is it going to encode that properly or do you have to re-encode those because you're going to ignore them and, you know, or is it going to do the wrong encoding or whatever, so... Yeah, from what I saw, it did there was no like double encoding because um, I did have two in in the same um, file. But um, okay. anyway, yeah, it was cool. a fun thing to learn. I had no idea. No idea. Thanks for that, Adam. Yeah, it seemed like it was new to me too. But I always get deja vu. Like, is it really new, or am I just remembering? I just learned <laughs> it. But yeah, for sure. We also have a, a tweet from uh, James Moberg. So he's been doing a lot of work with this 4JS exploit stuff, as we mentioned. Um, and so he's been doing some cold fusion unit testing to identify, you know, log4j exploits that the WAF may missed. But the funny thing is, is that Microsoft security keeps uh, quarantining his scripts that he's trying to test with. So he's like, at least Microsoft's taking it seriously. So yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into, he has a blog post that talks about detecting these patterns, um, including like a function he has to test if you're catching all the ones and, my goodness, all it told me is I don't think, um, I don't know, I don't I don't think in the same way of these exploits because his examples have all sorts of like variable, environment variable substitution to like concat the string together so it gets past the firewall. Like, oh. yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff. Like, <laughs> and so you can check that out on his, his website. You can even run the test on your own server, right? It will tell you if um, if a particular uh, way of trying to get this vulnerability passed is working or not against your, your server. So, yeah, it's interesting. Very, very interesting. Scary, but interesting. Yeah, <laughs> this is why I'm glad to uh, just, you know, stay up to date on the patches and um, yeah. get have good good firewalls in place and things like that to help mitigate this as much as possible yep oh and charlie said that i i guess in his um hidden gems talk uh, he did talk about the encode for stuff when it came out whatever quite a while ago um he says it may be still valuable to watch years later i'm like i know i thought i'd heard it somewhere so maybe that was one of those talks but yeah so he he talked about um some of those sorts of little things or whatever so uh, if you go to kehart.org's presentations charlie's got tons of his presentations there so but yeah charlie's presentations that stuff it does it shows you all sorts of crazy stuff you never knew was there so very cool okay uh we have another little tweet I know we got quite a few tweets this week. This one's short and sweet, but this was something Zach Spitzer mentioned. Um, so I believe it's Andrew Brown, who's Kamasama K. Um, he's been working on the VS Code extension. And what I almost wanted to say is, Zach says, if you use it, please show some love and style the repo. Because I think a lot of people using VS Code now, we're waiting for Adobe to get around to releasing their version of it. So um, everyone's using Kamasama K's VS Code extension for CFML. Uh, yeah, it's only got like 60 stars on it right now. So I think we should go and, you know, add some love to that there. It's a, it's a good project and we should uh, go help it out at least. And if you, you know, using it, leave some, leave some support too. So it's a pretty cool little one. So short and sweet, but there we go. Okay. We're moving on to the Ben corner now. Um, yeah. It's been a few weeks for us. So we have a few weeks to catch up on. 
So let's start. He talks about um, building the API client with fetch the fetch API in JavaScript. Uh, one funny thing I want to know is we usually have these articles listed in like reverse chronological order because mm-hmm. that's how we discover them. Um, but if you go the other way, the, the article that's about to come, which was before it, will tell you why he created the fetch client. Um, he talked about having jQuery and he uses jQuery Ajax and it's it's fine. It still works. There's no need to replace it on that. But he wanted to um, play around with the fetch client, kind of see what the new modern approach is. And I think this is a good overview of that client. He creates a higher level wrapper specific to his use case, which is also a good idea, trying to get that some of those configuration options um, out of your way that you don't need, or specifically in the case of um, fetch, if you want to pass form fields, you have to construct the form data and send that through as the body, which both is more cumbersome and makes sense (laughs) from an HTTP spec. But um, yeah, it's a good introduction to fetch. I always found fetch is funny because it the UR, the function signature looks so simple. It's like here's it takes the URL and options, um, but options has many keys that themselves are objects as well, <laughs> so it, it can get big fast. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. How being says you always make a wrapper, <laughs> you know, and. That's not a bad point, like you say. And that's why I like using Hyper for, you know, HTTP stuff and ColdFusion as well. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't help but see some of these things that he was doing and and thinking of Hyper, how with Hyper and Wirebox, you can do a lot of these, like set the authorization, set these headers every time, tell it to use JSON instead of form fields, things like that. Um, still can be worth your time to make a wrapper, especially with better named methods. Um, but yeah, I feel like Hyper was a good, a good mix of what he built and the low level. So yeah, for sure. Very cool. Okay. So that was, uh, one from Ben there. And so you said, uh, where it all started from is because he wanted to show a comment preview as you type on the blog, basically. And so that came from, you know, he's basically, he had a quiet December blog-wise, and that's because he was building his blog out and doing a whole lot of work, and he mentions that in one of them. And so uh, he's been working on his comments, and so, yeah, he wants to make it using Markdown and ColdFusion, um, basically. So you fill out in the form, and he wanted a preview way. So basically he t- had an Ajax request that would basically, you know, hit hit ColdFusion, do the Markdown HTML pipeline sort of setup, and then uh, spit it back out. And so... It's pretty interesting. So you sort of walk through that. Um, but he also does some anti-SAMI sanitization too. So it's it's pretty cool little setup here. And he's using flex mark, markdown conversion. So there's a, you know, quite a few little tools out there and everything. So, but he he's puts together his little hacky jQuery, as he likes to put it, example in here. So you can see how it works. And, you know, go to his blog, obviously. You can see how all this stuff is uh, coming together. But uh, I like it when he starts to do the you know, little screenshots and videos and everything too. So you see the preview updates below right as you type it. It's pretty neat. So, And I mean, he t- he addresses the points in this article about why he didn't just do this in JavaScript. So if you were, if that was my first question, um, if you're like me wondering why he's doing Ajax requests, he covers those points. And I think they're good trade-offs to think about. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, he leaves it right here at the bottom. As usual, Ben, super thorough, super useful. Uh, great little blog post. Well, not little, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of not little blog posts, the next one that Ben has is mitigating cross-site scripting attacks using a strict content security policy. Um a lot of, lot of words there and acronyms, um, yes. but content security pro- policy is something browsers will um, <clears throat> will honor. It's a header you can send and basically saying these are the scripts or the images or the style sheets that can be loaded on my page. Um, and so his implementation goes through how he uses a, I think you pronounce it a, a nonce? 
Yeah, and nonce, and once, uh, and once, um, yeah. which is a, a token that you generate for one page request. You can put it in your CSP header and in the script tag, and they have to match. So that way, a person can't inject their own script into your page and have it run. Um, again, the same thing can go for images, and uh, I believe style sheets. You can disable things like Flash, or I mean, I mean, was a thing, but other like runtime plugins. Um, so it's a good thing. And honestly, <laughs> seeing him do this made me want to make a module for it because I feel like um, this would be so such a perfect fit for Coldbox, especially with the REST template to just, um, though it doesn't need to be just the REST template, but just to automate adding these headers in based on just a little bit of configuration. It'd be nice to throw into like the asset bag because that's dealing with spitting them out in the first place, right? Yeah, exactly. So you can have it generate that nonce and put it in the header and on all of the assets coming out of the asset bag at once. So yeah, um, like but this is awesome. this is a great thing. Um, I've I've seen this before in some other cases, but yeah, another tool in your security tool belt because then you just don't have to worry about random script tags running. You know, if somebody tries to inject script into your you know, like a, a blog post comment, for instance, since this is uh, Ben's site we're talking about, it won't have the right token uh, nonce on it. And so it will just never be ran, even if you forgot to um, encode it for HTML. Um, finally, there is a endpoint that you can put into the header, a report URI, and anything that fails that check will hit that endpoint and you can log information about it so you can capture kind of these uh, these ones that are not adhering to your policy whether that's something you messed up or actual attacks <laughs> that's really cool i missed that that's yeah because I've, I've missed with csps a little bit before and they're kind of a pain to get set up but they are really nice uh, security additions but the uri which, reporting which is, is why we cool. just need we need a good module for this so if anybody's yeah needing one and wants to sponsor a module get, a, get in touch with us we'll get it done yeah sounds like a really good tool for sure okay next up we have another one from ben and this time we're talking about preserve case for struct key doesn't work inside the application cfc in adobe cofusion 2021 so i'm sure charlie probably has something to say with this um but you know whenever you're missing a component and you've got these uh serialization options right here in the cfc hitter um, I guess when you're doing things elsewhere, Ben saying it's just not adhering to it. So I know that there's, there's like an order, the way that the application CFC kind of gets passed and everything else. So I'm wondering if some of the lifecycle events are out of sync. And so, so I'm sure that's what he dives into to look at more. The place to go in this article is the comments. Cause you mentioned Charlie and Charlie and Ben oh, uh, go a, back oh, and forth on some oh, things that are there. Um, but honestly, my takeaway is this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> um, this is why I quote my keys everywhere, even if it doesn't seem like I'll ever need it. Because at some point that gets out and then JavaScript says, why are all of your keys shouting at me? And then they type it in all caps and then it's all caps forever and I can never change it again. So just quote everything until the engines figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they really did go back and forth. So, but yeah, probably more important than us talking about it is read all their descriptions here. And uh... <laughs> Yeah, I th it kind of comes to if it's set on the engine or if it's set in the the application, and there may be a difference. So Yeah, well, that's um, what I was thinking. In the application, the CFC, I know that if you put stuff, you know, in outside of the normal... Um, keys are like pseudo pseudo initializations they're they're not quite timed the same that like they kind of mm -hmm. you know they might be out of sync so if there's yeah. at the application level I it's would also the difference between clicking the button in the administrator which changes some things versus a this dot setting in application cfc um they're not quite the same yeah um and i remember learning that a while ago with lucy's full null support you couldn't set it in the application CFC, it had to be set beforehand, like as a compiler flag. And oh. that has changed since then, but there is definitely a difference in how some of these settings are are processed. And this seems to be an example of one. Yep. 
For sure. I mean, definitely. That's why I love these blog posts because they learn about all these little things you wouldn't know. And then when you hit the same wall, you can uh, figure it out. Pseudo constructor, sorry. Uh, that's, yeah. Did I say it wrong? Yeah. Charlie's in the chat there as usual. So thanks, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Which is code in the application CFC that exists outside of any method. Yeah. So, okay. So, oh. Uh, James said he just reviewed Kamasama case CFML extension for VS Code. Thanks, James. Cool, we got quite a few people in the chat today. It's good to see. Okay, so next up we have another one here from Benidel, and this one looks really interesting. Posting comments using reply emails and Postmark's inbound streams. Yeah, so I've actually done something similar using SendGrid uh, instead of Postmark. Um, but the first thing is thank goodness for these email services because what they postmark and send grid will give you is you give them a URL, uh, a webhook URL, and they'll hit your URL with them already having parsed this email into bits. And thank goodness because who wants to parse emails, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there's still some that you have to do in here, as you'll see. But um, Ben here makes a way for a custom reply to email to be sent to his server. He can take out an encrypted and um, there was something not encrypted. I'm, my brain's not clicking on it. Basically he's encoded the subscriber and the entry data into the reply to address. He takes it out. He can parse the comment, add it to that user and that blog entry. Mm. Um, so he goes through how to do that. I think some of the key takeaways are as with any webhook, make sure that you verify it came from the right place, either by testing the inbound IP address, by doing some sort of signature matching. Um, I know Stripe has you actually retrieve the webhook from them. Like they're like, give us the ID. We'll, we'll tell you if it's real. But and all those, a webhook endpoint is open to everybody. <laughs> Anybody mm -hmm. can hit it. So make sure to test that. And then even though like Postmark, SendGrid, these mail services did so much work, you still end up having to do mail processing. He has a whole CFC here that's a, mostly a bunch of regular expressions that's like, all right, take out all that reply to garbage at the bottom. Try to get rid of their signature. Try to replace these characters with bullets. And yeah, there's a lot of that. So, But it is infinitely easier because of these companies. So... That's my first one is thank you for those companies. And second, this is a, a nice trick to do it and uh, not as hard as you might be thinking. Yeah, it looks really cool. And I really like that the file that Ben has here, the plain text email parser. Looks really cool. Yeah, so. I would hate to see all the tests to that. He says in his article, parsing an email is more art than science. Because um, mm -hmm. so, you can do whatever you want, right? You can put anything mm -hmm. you want in an email. Like we think it's like we have email clients that try to fold up all like the reply quoted text and uh -huh. but it's all just a bunch of let's hope people do the same thing as they did before because who knows? <laughs> yeah, I know email email in general is such a headache in so many ways. So, and he did mention that the other reason that he felt confident in this is he just got comment moderation put in. Mm -hmm. So if somebody responds with an email it tries to clean it up and it comes in to get moderated and it looks like garbage, he can still take care of it instead of it just going to his blog post. Yeah, you definitely so, don't want that. So. I think that was probably an important feature of any inbound email parsing is some sort of some sort of verification or moderation. Very cool. Okay, we got one more from Ben. Like I said, he was quiet in December, but he's made up for all this awesome stuff he's been working on. So the last one was uh, centralizing his error response handling for his blog. And so this one, I, I like these type of ones when he looks at like a methodology, like a sort of a plan. And so here he's actually gone and tried to figure out, uh, you know, he codified a list of do's and do not rules that effectively outline how to throw errors and how to generate the error responses for the end user. Because as he mentioned, exceptions are for developers, error responses are for users, and we shouldn't be mixing those two up because it's really hard to debug if you get like a silly message that the user is supposed to see and users don't want to see our scary error messages for sure. 
So, um, the cool thing is here, he sort of, he works through it as usual, um, you know, boundary of the web application. And then you'll see here, he sort of breaks it down into his layers and responsibilities. So entities, partials, uh, workflows, and then routing. And then so he basically has these sort of four contexts and then puts puts them as like an event uh, name or type. And then that way everything can kind of be streamed and grouped. And I really like this approach. He's you know sort of broken it down. And you see as he builds them out to like the workflow, comment, validation, author URL, restricted protocol. So, you know, really detailed uh, and really easy to understand where it is in sort of the, the, the life of it. So pretty interesting. I mean, have you done some of this before, Eric, where you've gone to that level? And that sort of um, I think I've gone to the level on the status codes. So I am a fan, especially in in cold box, uh, like a rest handler of adding um, catches for some generic things like uh, entity not found or validation exception, authorization exception. So I can have that happen anywhere in my application and I'll return the correct 401 or 404, 422. Um, I have not gone to the extent that he has with like the namespace. And I think a lot of that's because it makes me sad that I can't actually, it's not an actual namespace, right? Yeah. In the end, it's just a string and Cold Fusion checks the string. He couldn't catch like uh, workflow comment validation errors all in one. He has to catch all of them, which is why uh, his switch statement is so long. Um, so, uh, that, I mean, that's something I would love Cold Fusion to have, kind of actual namespace errors. Um, the other thing I have done and I don't know if this makes Ben as sad as me, but when he is throwing some of his exceptions, he'll serialize a bunch of data and stick it in extended info, um, mm. basically so he can pass it up the chain. <laughs> and I just, I really, Cold Fusion, Lucy, I want exceptions that I can create as a component and have methods and have data, just like in Java. Maybe not just like in Java, but I need something like that so that my validation exception I can ask what fields failed and what were the messages instead of grabbing this extended info and deserializing everything. So, yeah. So, yes and no. I do love his big switch statements. So, I'm in the same camp that switch statements are actually awesome. And a lot of things in, in programming come down to this really is a giant switch statement. And sometimes it's better to use polymorphism, but sometimes you just need a giant switch statement. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I was also thinking, I wonder if you can do some regex for, you know, or like if you do a dot, you know, last on the dot and the, it's invalid, then it would be a certain type, you know, depends or whatever. But I guess it's really specific if you have all, all the items. So, yeah. And yeah. at that point, it, there is also a, a, a nicety of going through the switch statement and seeing, okay, all of these things do return yes. this one thing, even if they, our mixed paths. So yeah, I really do like the way you like overrid a few though. Like you'd override just certain pieces of it with the with the as four hundred and the as four twenty two or whatever. That mm -hmm. way you could add specific detail to certain ones. It was it was nice. I liked it. Uh, yeah. It's got me thinking about how to improve all my my stuff now because I definitely like the way that it works. And then uh, <laughs> I like at the very end of it, he's like, wait, what? Ben uses what is essentially Fusebox to run his blog? <laughs> yeah, switches and includes. I mean, that's that's Cold Fusion right there, right? If you're not using includes and in, uh, in switches, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah. Yep. Cool, cool. So yeah, a lot of a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, we missed you, Ben. It's good to have you back with all the stuff. And it looks like you make some awesome changes to your blog. So cool. Keep it up. Okay, next up, we have find a job. So we got a uh, getcfmyjobs.com as listing of 256 Cold Fusion positions now from 111 companies. We got four new ones listed. So I'll share my screen for those watching. And we can go through these. But looks like they got a, a couple ones here and some of them get do get repeated which means they're probably still looking for someone so we've got oh a few more just posted today after i did all this so sorry everybody so it looks like we got eight new jobs 
So we're looking for someone in uh, Hyperdead, or no, uh, Aminadad, India. And we're looking Missia Soga. I don't know how to pronounce that one. So a remote position in Ontario, Canada. We've got a, a virtual position in the U.S. And we've got a, the LATAM, Senior Cold Fusion Developer LATAM at Colon, Pennsylvania. We've been looking at for that one for a while now. I see it repeating, so must be still looking for the right person. But we also have a couple more positions here opened up just today after I finished uh, getting all our show notes together here. So I'll add those to the list too. But an IT engineers applications or Cold Fusion Developer and Admin. And then we have uh, a software developer Overland Park, Kansas, and a contract position for a Cold Fusion developer as well. So, uh, and Will's asking why are there never jobs in Europe, excluding the UK? Um, that's a good question. I mean, let's see if it look, we post a job. Is there an option for other countries? I wonder. I know that they have I, certain countries, but I do wonder if um, get CFML jobs only parses English sites. Maybe. And so other countries, if they're not posting their job in English, maybe. Yeah, it might also be that, um, you know, there's the, the, basically the, what do you call it? The the URL for indeed.com covers certain countries. And then, you know, there's com.au for Australia. Maybe there's some European versions of those sites that aren't on the passing list too. If you scroll down to the bottom of get CFML jobs, there's only five. There, Australia, Canada, India, United Kingdom, and United States. Yep, and I saw on the on the other one is it says other. So if you're looking for, you know, submitting your own, you could put other. But yeah, I wonder if uh, we need to just go in there and um, you know maybe add a few more. Um, what do you call it? Uh, like URLs for different job sites. Maybe they're just looking at certain ones out focusing in Europe. So the about page. Uh, states that jobs for other countries are coming very soon. I do wonder when that was put on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, my, I think you're right that the feeds that it's tracking just don't have that information. Yeah, see, because you got indeed.com, jobs at cfmodeveloper.net, ods.com, simplyhide.com, and elance. And so, yeah, I wonder if we need to, uh, if we can find some of those European job feeds. Um, Maybe we can um, submit them in here, Will, and get them in there. So that'll be good. So, yeah, we can make it better, even better. Is this site open source? Is that something that we could do? Uh, I'm I so know curious now. I know it's a Cold Fusion developer. Um, so I'm not sure if it's open source, though. I mean, it's. By Akbersate. That does not sound. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I've forgotten his name already. Um, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so if you want to submit any other feeds, then they can add it to the list. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So, and they, yeah, the good thing is they have access, the API access to these. And so, anyways, but yeah, so there's, you know, a few good jobs there. If you have any job postings, share them with us. We'll put them on here as well. Um, but yeah, so, so far, I changed this to say seven, and I'll put the new ones in there. Um, but yeah, so looking for a job, it's a good place to go look and hopefully we'll make it even better since, uh, yeah, I didn't realize they were missing some of those other feeds. So, okay, let's see. Oh yeah. Charlie's saying Ekpa is a long time supporter of the CF community. He'd be happy to open to help for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think it'd probably be pretty easy just adding a few more feeds there. So that'd be great. And Zach Famous wants, last words. Yeah. And then Zach said that uh, Log4j2 support in Lucy 5.3 is coming along for 5.3.9. So, great. So, we won't have to wait for 6 for that. That's great. Yep. Very cool. So <coughs> let's see. And Charlie's posted some links for those in the chat, uh, some more stuff from, from Akbar. So cool, cool. Okay, let's keep the show on the road here. Let's go talk about Forgebox Module of the Week. So this one's a new module. And I just saw something pop up in the, um, yeah, basically up in the chat up there. I see the author of this week's one, Scott, chit-chatting. So you want to tell us about this? Yeah, I thought you were talking to Scott for a second, but uh, I will. <laughs> um, <coughs> this one's called JSON Diff. And it is a simple utility to check what the differences are between two 
um, JSON objects, and I'll come back to what that means in a second, or even to just to see if they're the same. So you can check, are these the same and get a list of the changes. Um, so this works for everything from nulls to simple values to the most complex collection of arrays and the objects that you can think of. Um, now, when I said I come back to JSON, it actually doesn't take JSON the string. It takes deserialized JSON or structs and arrays and simple values. So if you pass the string, it will just compare the string to each other and probably not what you wanted. So oh, um, maybe we you actually have an option to like figure out if it's a string and then try to. You know. Possibly. That that's, gets tricky because maybe you wanted to check if the two strings were exactly the same. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, um, we actually have something similar to this in TestBox for when you say, I expect, you know, this array of structs to be another array of structs. It does um, something similar. I think it calls it deep equal in TestBox, but um, mm. uh, we might need to switch over to something that's a little more... Uh, encapsulated here, get its own tests around it, because I don't know how much test box tests there are around D people. So oh, interesting. I was going to ask, um, does, how does yeah. it handle case <laughs> for keys? Um, that is a great question about checking case. I did see a precision evaluate for numbers. So let's see, is same. Where are we? And obviously, he's looking through the code available. Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, because it's open source, yay! I don't see compare no, uh, calls, which means it would not be case sensitive. So that could be mm. a pull request somebody wants to put in there. Yep, have a flag so, for it to say if we want it to be case sensitive, check or not. Yep. But no, I I love it, and I lo especially love the the diff functionality. That's something that didn't exist over in in Coldbox or sorry in Testbox. Yeah. So you can give it the two options, and it will give you. Um, really an array like of like change sets. Yeah, I really like right? that. It's like, hey, this is the change. Here's the path, old and new. I think it's similar to what you get with like libraries like JQ, mm -hmm. where you can say, are these chains? So really loving that. Yeah, for sure. I like JSON diff. Yeah, tricky bit is, yeah, it's kind of gets messy when you've got structs of arrays of structs and <laughs> to do the path to it, but yeah, it looks really cool. I was excited to see that. So good job, Scott. Let's see you were, weren't too bored over Christmas holiday. Still got to pop out a, a couple of things here. <laughs> so that is your Forge Box module of the week. And Scott did confirm it does not do case, but it, he's open to pull requests for sure. So cool, cool. Okay, so next up we have our VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. And this one is something which... I don't know if you'll, you'd use it or not, but I think I'd use it quite a lot. Uh, the Excel viewer. So inside of VS Code, um, you can now look at your v CSV files or whatever in Excel spreadsheets, basically, in Visual Studio. So um, I don't think the Excel spreadsheet stuff would be as cool. Um, you know, you could open, open the files straight in there, but a lot of times I'm messing with um, CSVs, and it'd like, be nice to be able to sort of see that. Um, populate it because a lot of times I pull data in and just want to be able to grab stuff out and it's easy than trying to format it or whatnot. So, uh, okay. but it's a pretty cool little little tool in there. Um, it does have some numeric uh, numeric formatting options for you and everything, but it seems like it's pretty complete for a little little simple little VS Code plugin. But yeah, just I was thinking it might be kind of nice for when you're trying to generate a CSV and you want to make sure it's actually doing what you think it should. You know, <laughs> so. But, yep. And yeah. even just to have it a tab inside of the editor instead of in a different window. So, yeah. So, Excel viewer over there. Um, yeah. Nice little VS Code hint, tip, and trick. There we go. Yep. And he says uh, he got to build a client for the work. So, it's even better when you can open source client work. <laughs> Scott for his uh, JSON diff. You know, I was talking about the uh, CSV file. <laughs> Reminds me, I'll try to get you this image to put in the show notes. But I saw a uh, a joke web development acronyms um, for in, that you know read imagine some of the acronyms we have. Like JSON was JavaScript's son, <laughs> um, but CSV was the Excel file that was saved weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, I'll try to I'll try to send that to you so you can throw it into the show notes for anybody who wants to laugh. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Cool. So last up, we want to thank our Patreon supporters because without them, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. And by doing so, you're supporting this podcast, allowing artists to spend those funds on other things. So uh, they're able to to help the community with forge box and command box, cold box, all the test boxes. And more importantly, I think is, you know, providing the infrastructure for forge box, our package management software for command box. So a lot of great things that Audis is doing because you guys are, you know, helping to support this podcast. So if you go to patreoncom slash solutions, you can see the packages available and they've got some perks there too. So, um, we do have the annual memberships, so if you guys were looking to waste your budget at the end of last year, it would have been a good uh, good addition. Spend you say, your budget. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Spend it very wisely. <laughs> yeah. So if you do pay for the year, you do get 10% off, which is great. Um, and then you don't have to worry about a monthly bill, just you can pay it annually. But you also, um, with certain packages, you get certain perks. So everyone gets a, a profile badge on the community website if you're a supporter. Everybody in, who's a patron supporter gets their own private forum access on the community website at community.autosolutions.com but the bigger perks is if you get to the bronze packages and up you get a forgebox pro account for free and a cfcast subscription as a perk for being those uh patreon levels so those are the big ones you know we get a lot of uh, cfcast videos out there not all of them are free and so having that subscription is uh, really valuable and forgebox pro means you can you know use forgebox the way you want to without having to worry about other people seeing all your code so it's uh, pretty neat. You want to rattle off all these awesome Patreon supporters? I sure do. It's been too long. Thank you so much to John Wilson with Snaptrix, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Mario Rodriguez, Giancarlo Gomez, David Bellinger, Jonathan Perrette, Jeffrey McGee with Sunstar Media 6, Dean Maunder, Joseph Lamery, Don Bellamy, Jan Yannick, Laxma Turchahadi, Carl Von Stetten, Dan Card, Jeremy Adams, Jordan Clark, Matthew Clemente, Daniel Garcia, Scott Steinbeck with Agri Tracking Systems, Ben Nadal, Mingo Hagen, Brett DeLine, Kai Koenig, Charlie Earhart, Jonas Erickson, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Sean Odin, Matthew Darby, Ross Phillips, Edgardo Cabezas, Patrick Flynn, Stephanie Mongi, Kevin Wright, and Stephen Klotz. Very cool. Thank you, everybody. We really appreciate your patronage. And then it's, you know, something special when they say you go and spend your hard-earned money to, to support us. So thanks, everybody. And, yeah, everybody, happy 2022. Glad you all made it. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. See you later. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.